Well, listen here, folks. You've entered the Deer Man in Betweener. Thank you so much for listening to the Deer Man in Betweener. I'm Andrew Hilbert. We're here with Robert Dean, author of the Red Seven. You can buy his book on Amazon.com. You can support the In Betweener by going to patreon.com slash a Hilbert. A buck, two bucks, three bucks, five bucks, whatever the fuck. Uh, it goes a long way. And I have to apologize about my asthma on this particular track. When I recorded it, I was having real bad allergies. If you're from Central Texas, you understand what I'm talking about. Real hard to breathe. So, I guess I'm fucking sorry for not dying. God! Alright, everybody. Welcome to the Deer Man in Betweener. I'm here with Robert Dean, who's sitting right across from me here. Say howdy to the folks, Robert Dean. Hola, mi amigos. We're drinking Lone Star like the real Texans we are, oh, and I just spilled it all over myself. You can wipe yourself with a curtain. There's a napkin right over there. That's my jerkin' corner. AKA napkin, a.k.a. a comrade. <laughs> yeah. Woo! Like real Texans, I spilled my beer all over myself. But anyways, why do I say Texas? Because Robert Dean's article on... Uh, Texas grit and resilience in the face of Hurricane Harvey went semi-viral. And that's a pretty cool story there. I've known Bobby since... I've known Robert since he was uh, more than just... Uh, more than a Texas patriot, a militiaman. <laughs> a Trump you know, man. A Trump man <laughs> secessionist. Uh, I knew him uh, from way back in the day when he wrote the book uh, The Red Seven. And he was, we were supposed to be press mates, but we ended up fate made it that we weren't press mates. But Bobby, uh, let's just talk about um, your philosophy in in uh, in writing. But first, the most important question: Have you listened to Dear Man? Not yet. Oh, <laughs> you're the only, second person to say that. The only reason I haven't, I didn't know if like with Patreon, can you listen? What if you're not a Patreon subscriber? Okay, so so uh, for the cheap way out. Uh, you actually just wait a week, so oh. I do. I do publish it. Um, Patreon gets it a week before everybody else. You know, pay one dollar, two dollar, three dollars. They get the version free. I mean, they get the version a week before, and then everybody else gets it the week after. So it's on YouTube the week after. It's on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, all that oh, shit. Okay, yeah, that's the only reason. I mean, yeah. I, I subscribe to podcasts, yeah. so I was totally subscribed. So to yeah, it. if you just search "Dear Man Hilbert," it'll probably come up. Yeah, but don't be cheap. Get the Patreon. Yeah, don't be cheap like this guy here. Hey, I, <laughs> I, I've put on hold so much. Of my, I try to like, I try to be like Cabino and be like Cabino Iglesias, Zero Saints Cabino. I try to be like a, a citizen of the world and of yeah. like supporting your friends, like buying shit, like subscribing to stuff, and I've worked freelance all summer long, and so like when you're working freelance and you're just like not carrying a steady paycheck. We had to cut like way corners on like things. So no. you're making steady money. You're like, hey, fuck it, I'll buy everybody's books. Yeah, I totally get it, man. I and get so, it. It's tough out there. Yeah, I'm gonna be working again though. So, but you know, the philosophy of Dear Man is basically it's an experiment in in this kind of like serialized writing um, for that. And you know, having subscribers is awesome, but also having like a, a user base is great too. Which is why it's not like subscriber only. It's free for everybody. Yeah. And this uh, this in betweener episode is a little bit of an experiment in like traditional podcasting. There's no stories. It's in between things because I can't pump out a story, can't pump out a chapter every every week. That's that's a lot. I'm okay. also writing something else. 
So this is kind of a way to talk to my favorite writers and artists around town and see what they're up to. But uh, how about you tell us a little bit about your work, your history with writing and all that kind of jazz. The mm, uh, Cliff Notes version is in 2012, 12, 11 or 12, my first novel in the Arms of Nightmares came out. Then I was in like a bunch of different anthologies and things like that. And then after that, The Red Seven came out on Necro Books, Necro Publications. It's their Wild Weird West imprint. And then that came out like two years ago. Was it two years ago? I think so. It's two or three, man. Yeah, it's been a minute. Like two or three yeah. now. Two, I think. And uh, since then, it's just been a whole bunch of <sighs> contributing. Like I landed, I set a goal for 2017 that I was going to get in 10 different short stories. Uh, or 10 short story, pl- like land 10. And I landed seven so far. Weird Meat was one of them. There we go. And so um, Weird Meat was a fucking awesome collection with a super crazy cover. So if you are on the internet, you should pick up Weird Meat, not just for me, because Andrew put it out, and it's super good. Well, um, I appreciate that. You're too kind, sir. Um, no, I set a goal for 10, and I landed 7 so far. And then I also, I'm working on a book called The Hard Roll, which is a super underground black market crime novel. And I've been trying to challenge myself with how I can write, how hard I can go, and like how much I can do in a year. I, I mean, it's probably not wise to kill myself like this but i don't care it's been essays short stories can you get in here can you build platform can you do all that shit because with this next one i'm trying my hardest to get like a real publishing deal not that indie presses are bad indie press people it's uh, not that they're bad you're looking at an indie press person right no now. i mean it's not that they're bad I, I i agree i'm kind of like into the uh what's his face jeremy robert johnson's yeah. point of view of like land a big book do little stuff do medium-sized stuff like there's a lot of shit that you can do. Oh, yeah. And I like his philosophy. And yeah. you're, you're the, actually the one who, who keyed me into him with Skullcrack City. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think his his idea of just, like, doing everything. And I think he's, he's like, the prototype of the future of publishing anyways. Yeah. Where the Big Five doesn't want you to have a seven-book deal anymore. They want to have a couple books by you. They'll, they'll sign you for a book. And they don't mind you building your audience with smaller things. And I think he's kind of, like... Playing with that new model, yeah, where no one publisher owes you, like owns you, like we're not, you know, nobody here is going to be Jonathan Franzen. Well, I don't know, and not me, but you know, you're not going to be Jonathan Franzen where you're going to write a book that's going to sell 500 million copies around the world because Oprah plugged it. Um, I just, just fucked up. You were talking about Jonathan Franzen, so mm-hmm. like I'm driving here, and I was like, wonder what we're going to talk about different stuff, and like it just totally came to me. And I was like, I remember when they said that Jonathan Franzen was the greatest living writer. Do you remember that shit? Uh, Time Magazine yeah. or something like that? Yeah. And I was like, that was so fucking insulting. Do you know who the greatest living American writer is? Who is that? Robert he lives Dean? In, no, he lives in fucking Maine. His name's Stephen King. <laughs> that, that is a good point, yeah. That's bullshit. Like, I hate that about fucking writing. Is like, you can jack off Jonathan Franzen who writes boring fucking books. I've read... Uh, the one with the bird on it and freedom. That was the freedom, Oprah book club. and then the other one, like the uh, the corruptor, the, the corrections, corrections. Yeah. I've read both of those. They're okay. They're not yeah. great, and they're just big ass fucking books. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> I don't hate his work, and I haven't actually finished anything. So I guess that that's like that right there is a review. I didn't finish any of his books. That's yeah. a review. I mean, but I didn't feel any. I didn't feel passionately one way or the other about his books. I did like one, the way he described swimming through someone's pee in the pool. 
Like, I thought, like, like that, that, you know, that description that he did was, like, so spot on. It was hilarious. And But other than that, like, I don't know. I don't feel one way or the other about him. Stephen King, on the other hand, like, passionately love. And there's shit that Stephen King does that I, like, passionately hate. But I do think he's underrated, if not, but he's not under... Appreciated. He's not, he's not underappreciated. Yeah, I mean, I just think that the literary community, whether they don't, like, give that dude his due... I mean, yeah, he... You know, Steve May King may not win an award, but that motherfucker cashes the Bank of America award oh, yeah. every day. Oh, yeah. But the thing about him is, like, without Stephen King, we have so much cultural nuance that wouldn't exist. Yeah. Like, It, Cujo, Carrie, uh, I'm trying to think, like, the, uh, what is it? The, Sh- the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, well, Cujo made me afraid of dogs, and Carrie made me afraid of menstruation. White ladies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, what else? Uh, the Green Mile. Like, Stand By Me. He yeah. wrote all that shit. That's yeah. a part of the cultural lexicon. Yeah. And unfortunately for us, is like, how can you discount, like, Stand By Me, one of the greatest, like, American stories of all time? The one of the greatest movies of all time. And yet somebody, like... Like, I love fucking Cormac McCarthy. Cormac McCarthy's a genius. Yeah. He was an extraordinary influence on the Red Seven. Obviously, if you read Blood Meridian and read the Red Seven, I just wrote a dumbed-down version of his book. <laughs> and... You added, you added the commas and the periods and yeah. the quotation marks. Yeah, and mine was a little less like naked, big, fat, white guy around a fire masturbating. That was a little... <laughs> Sounds like every night of my life. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> there is the t- napkin sitting over that yeah, way. Yeah, right now. But man. I'm like... Well, I see that shit and I just want to clap back being like, Look, my... Fam, let's be real. It is not the real shit. Stephen King is the greatest living American writer. Y'all need to stop fucking tripping because... It is bullshit. I, I I tend to agree, actually. The last thing I read by Stephen King was Revival. And I got it in hardback because I used to work at a bookstore. And, you know, you get these extra copies or these copies that are kind of fucked up. And you get them for real cheap. And I read that and I swear to God, almost every single Stephen King book I've read, I've read in like a day or two. And it's just like, eat it up. And that's there's a lot to be said about that. Mechanics-wise, he's not like the greatest, most profound writer ever. But there's something to be said about keeping a reader interested from page one to page four fucking hundred. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. Those things are like the Bible, too, yeah. with size. And that's like when people would say that shit about Elmore Leonard. People would talk shit about Elmore Leonard, that he's not complex enough. Fuck that. That dude just completely reinvented the crime genre. Yeah. There, there ain't a person that writes crime... Excuse me, there ain't a person that writes crime that ain't trying to chase Elmore Leonard. I, no, I, I, I agree. Elmore Leonard and Stephen King, the on-writing. On-writing by Stephen King, and then there's Elmore Leonard's like the 10 rules. rules. Right, yeah. yeah, It's a lot shorter than on-writing. But those two are should be every genre writer's Bible, but also should maybe be in... The, included in the apocrypha of literary writers too. Yeah, I mean uh, those are like I have on my wall in my office. I have the road. To, uh, the road to hell is paved with adverbs. Yeah, I have that printed out on my wall to yeah. always remember. And I have another one that it says if it sounds like writing, I erase it and I rewrite it. Right. Yeah, those are the, my two favorite rules actually. Stephen King the adverbs and then if it sounds like writing, rewrite it. Um, the adverbs thing is hilarious because if you read some a lot of the earlier Stephen King collections of short stories and. Even it, I think, has a lot of it. Adverbs is everywhere. Every fucking where. But I guess if you're writing a book that has like 500,000 words in it, it's like, okay, you can have 500 <laughs> adverbs. Um, 
Dude, how stoked are you on it, though? Uh, you know, I'm not stoked on any kind of movie. Really? Like, I'll go see it, but I'm not, I'm not watching trailers. I don't, I don't get, I don't get the same way other people get about, like, a movie. I read it. I loved it. I'm really wondering how they're going to handle the ending. <laughs> you right, know? yeah. It, you know, because I feel like they're going for a darker place uh, than, than the original TV movie. I was wondering how they are going to handle the fucking Henry Bowers blowbang and, uh... <laughs> Like them having an orgy in the sewer, right? That's what well, I'm they, wondering. They said they weren't going. They're not doing that. Okay. See, I haven't read anything. I see. When it comes to movies, man, I don't watch trailers. I don't read reviews beforehand. I just if someone tells me to go see a movie, I'm gonna go see it. I know that it's coming out. I'm gonna go see it. I, That's it. I do the research on the shit because I got limited time. I got two yeah. little ass kids. So like, when we go do something, if I need to like plant the flag and say I'm like go do it, I gotta be like really serious about it. Yeah. And so with it, like. I wanted to see The Dark Tower, and then I realized The Dark Tower was going to be a dog shit movie. It was and like was, 45 minutes long. Yeah, I was like, I ain't even going to bother with this thing. Yeah. Gonna, they packed in eight books in 45 minutes? Forget <laughs> it. Forget it. I ain't even fucking with this. Yeah. And it, on the other hand, every like journalist that I respect that reviews movies is like salivating to talk about it and how great it was. I'll give that the credence. And Stephen King's even said it's the greatest uh, novel... or. Movie version of his book he's seen yet. Huh, that's interesting. And he, you know, that dude's an asshole. He hated The Shining. I know he hated The Shining. I feel like I feel like the director and the writer of the movie shouldn't be concerned with the author's vision, uh, unless the author is actually involved in it. Because I feel like they're two separate art forms. It's almost like you get to interpret this work. You get to do what you want with it. And if it's not how the author saw it, man, ain't nothing I've ever written in my head has ever. If I try to draw it. Or describe it to somebody else has ever come out the way I wanted it. Like, but I appreciate that they came with their own shit to it. Yeah, and so I feel like you know no one should really, and even as fans, audience members, I feel like we put too much too much expectation on it, which is why I don't really care about movie ad- adaptations. I'm gonna go see it, but I don't get hyped up on it. I think that be- I I <clears throat> with movie adaptations is weird because I think that there's a cultural nuance behind it because like certain things like certain properties like there's a thing where you take cultural ownership and with the nuance is like it is in the is in the canon of our lives like people are obsessed with it that's that's the one book that Stephen King has ever written that people hold much higher than the others like there's a level of obsession because it's so frightening and creepy i have a pennywise tattoo yeah and it's like so part of his lore it's like that. It's like, like you say, Corman McCarthy's Blood Meridian. It was called the Unfilmable Movie mm. and all that. And there's like different shit that comes out that people create that we feel so connected to that we possibly can't disassociate ourselves from it and its success or failure. Yeah. That's like with The Dark Tower. There's an entire subset of King fans that are obsessed about The Dark Tower and like that ruined their fucking day, man. Well, I got coworkers who got, you know, the sigil or whatever. Um, I haven't read the Dark Tower series actually, I so I don't even I, I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They, they have some symbol. They got matching tattoos. So they, it's a commitment. You got eight books or something like that to go through, read it all. I mean, yeah, put a tattoo on yourself over it, man. It's like reading the Bible. I'm not kidding you when I say I probably have 30 unread Stephen King books in my office. Well, he's got like 500. So. Yeah, I have an entire sh- row of my shelf that's all yeah. Stephen King. Plus, I got the Dark Tower for Christmas. Yeah, and I was gonna like make sure I read the Gunslinger. It was like, before this comes out, i got to read The Gunslinger. It's in my to-do pile. And I, I saw that, and I was like, oh, well, this is fucking not... 
not happening. And uh, but I moved it, and my next book in the to do pile is the art of the invasion of the weirdos. Oh yeah, yeah, that's my next book. As soon oh, as I finish Elroy's American Tabloid, sweet. Which wow. American Tabloid is long as fuck. Yeah. Wow. It's like 600 words. I mean, 600 pages. 600 words? <laughs> Sounds like my early poems, dude. 600 pages, man. It's long. Did you ever write poetry? Because I, I know everyone kind of goes through this phase where they want to write poetry. No, no. I that? still actively write poetry. You still actively write poetry? Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Um, I have always... I've had this pet project for years of... I just... I go through phases. I'd probably say like every... I don't know. Like probably once a year. When I'm between, like, things, I'll go for, like, months where I just write poetry. And then I, like, store it away, and then I come back to it. And then it's always been a pet project. I mean, we yeah. came up on Bukowski and all, like, the beat guys. Yeah. So for us, that's, like, part of our writer identity. Yeah. And so I've just always done it. And it's always been an outlet, and it's always been a thing. And I hope that one day a, a publisher lets me do, like, a, a chapbook or a collection. Yeah. I try to imitate Bukowski. And it was basically writing about shit I didn't do because I wanted to sound like I was Bukowski, you know? Never went to the fucking racetrack. Well, I did, but, you know, never did it with any, like, you know, I was just imitating him. Um, but if I get, go back and read the poems I wrote, man, oof, talk about depressing. Ugly. Ugly. Oof, terrible. I just wrote um, a friend of mine. He's a, he's a director. His name's Irving Gamboa. And he does, like, these really weird uh, experimental art films. Yeah. He, like, he wanted some awards in France and shit. He's a friend of mine. He makes these weird fucking movies, like you know, like the ones of like a woman eating cereal alone in the dark, yeah. and like black and white, and yeah. like crunching leaves and shit. <laughs> he does that stuff, and he was like, "Hey man, let's do a collaboration together, and we write something." And so I wrote a ten-page poem called "The Tunnels of Madness," uh-huh. and he layered it on there, and I've seen an early cut of it, and it's fucking cool. Cool man, and it's like a woman talking about like. All my shit is like William Burroughs' stream of consciousness. Yeah. So it goes fucking off the rails and gets weird. And it's like yeah. a woman talking about like killing her husband and fucking him and all. It's weird, but it, it works because it's a woman narrating it. So, so it doesn't feel as like yeah. gross. Right. So this might be the next thing that goes viral from you, right? No. <laughs> no. Let's, let's talk about this viral article you wrote. So you're originally from... Chicago. Chicago. And then you moved to New Orleans, right? I did the Bukowski thing in New Orleans. Yeah. All right. Do you ever read Confederacy of Dunces? Absolutely. All right, great. Okay, cool. Okay, now we're on the level here. Oh, yeah. There yeah. Ain't, there's not many New Orleans books I've read. I haven't read. I mean, it's honestly the only thing I like. I know is decidedly New Orleans. Like, I've read Confederacy of Dunces many, many times. I love that book. It's one of my favorite books ever. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. You went from Chicago to New Orleans. How long were you in New Orleans for? Seven years. Seven years. And then now you, and you came to Texas. When, how long have you been in Texas? Four years in Austin. Oh, wow. Where, where, where before? Uh, I mean, in New Orleans. I moved from oh, New Orleans oh, oh four years in Austin. I thought, I thought you meant like, oh, no, no, I had no. a year or so in Houston. No, I went from New Orleans to Austin. My wife is from Temple, so she's okay. only from 45 minutes north of here. Oh, sweet. Um, your article was titled... Um, it has, it's had a couple, the Statesman has titled it three different things. Yeah. So I, it, what's your favorite title? Um, it was, I don't even remember. I don't, I don't even remember any of the titles. To it's, uh, there's something One like, was about Texas like out, grit. new outsider, Texas grit or something. Yeah. I was like, whatever. Yeah. It's had like four different titles. Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen it a couple different ways on here. Um, but it was about Texas grit and resilience in the face of this devastation. Yeah. And there's a line in there where it was talking about there's different types of people together in the shelter. And that got cut from probably the most viral version of your article. 
And when people became privy to the real article, they thought that someone was politicizing your original article, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, go through the comments section on this stuff. You know, you look up Robert Dean on Facebook and like his page, you will see. I mean, his fan, his likes on Facebook have grown pretty, pretty, pretty rapidly in the last 48 hours. But uh, you will see things he posts that aren't at all this article. Like, he makes fun of Trump a lot. You'll see this lady go, Oh, I thought you were an open-minded outsider. Turns out you're just a liberal. <laughs> and it's just like, that's the amount... Those are the comments that are coming through for him. It's... It, that thing has taken on such a life of its own, I can't control it anymore. Yeah. It's just... It, it completely different. And I posted it. It came out through the Austin American Statesman. Hats off to them for giving me the shot. I mean, they have ran my essays two weeks in a row... Which, for them, they even told me they bent editorial policy because they liked it so much. Which, God bless, fucking knock on wood, pray to whatever deity. It's amazing, and I'm by no means not so unbelievably blown away by that. But we posted it, and it went on Thursday, and it was okay. It was was cruising right along. Then Friday, I saw some traction, and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. People like this. Next thing I know, it's like Friday night, and my friend Mary texts me, and she goes, hey did you see your article? And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? She sends me a link and it's this guy's thing and it's like a speedometer. It's clicking by the thousands, man. It's just like... And it's all these like Texas people like really getting behind it, using this as like an emotional battle flag, man. And by no means am I not thankful and Texas has been incredibly kind to me in the four years that I've been here. Like I really like figured my career out in Austin, which I owe Austin the fucking a lot. And what happened was this, this dude cut a piece of it out. And because it says, it talks about mosques and it talks about black people. Mm-hmm. And it, essentially what the idea is, is that like people that you fucking judged, white people, did, did their due diligence and came to rescue with you. Like nobody was better than anybody. In the face of tragedy, people came and they stuck it out together. That guy that you might have called the N-word last week could be sleeping on a cot next to you and you could be eating fucking donated food together and realize... He's not so bad. And so, to me, when somebody cut that out of my shit is a slap in the face to, first of all, my writing. But second of all, the fucking Statesman's a Pulitzer Prize winning fucking newspaper. Well, that was kind of like the whole spirit of the article. Yeah, I mean... It's like, we are all Texans. We are all Texans. We're under this flag together. And then somebody cuts it because they wanted this whitewashed version of this. They wanted to make old white people feel good about themselves. Which is bullshit because you are dismissive of what the original intent was, which I'm glad people shared it, and I'm not complaining about the attention that it's got, but to, to like do that is a cannibalizing my work, which sucks, but... I mean, it's not, it's not cannibal, it's like kind of pissing on... Yeah. That, to me, is like the crux of the article right there. It, it, I agree with you. <laughs> and, and it was, uh, I mean, it was, it was just funny to see how this process works of politicizing an article... Or making it propaganda for one set of Texans. Yeah. You know what I mean? No. Not the other set. We don't even want to include them. And it, how is it that it's uh, that, that it makes it makes white folks feel bad? You know, what, why would they take it out? Because, oh, is it somehow bad to be in this shit together? Like, I don't get it. They're like, we didn't even like that. And I was like, look, old blue hair. <laughs> the thing that you're not re- like re- re- getting, respecting, or paying attention to is in context of the fact that fucking... You don't see a black person commenting on this shit and going, no, man, he 
that ain't even like that. No, it is like that. And just because it doesn't affect your worldview because you live outside of, like, the purview of racism and things going on, it's fucking true and it's there. It's there. And you should pay credence to that. And yes, mosques did open their doors, Joel Osteen, you fucking scumbag. <laughs> yeah, it's my next hit piece that's coming out yeah. is fucking taking down Joel you think, Osteen. Uh, you think the statesman is going to pick that up? Uh, I already I committed it to Clash. It comes oh, cool. out uh, tomorrow. Nice. Um, so it's written. No, it's done. It's in the can. Sweet. It comes out tomorrow awesome. on uh, Clash Media. So Look for that. Except this will probably come out. Yeah. A couple days after that. So, it, whenever it comes out, and but yeah. it'll be out. And yeah. I just... It, it, so, it, it's gone in all these different directions. And on my Facebook was my only place I could really say something. Yeah. And I was like, hey, there's an, this is the original version. If you're going to share it, share the original. Because, A, I'm happy, guy, that you're getting your Facebook is blowing up. Yeah. But it's blowing up on my work. Yeah. It's blowing up on the statesman's back. Yeah. So at least cite us in the fact that your shit's blowing up and you probably have a million new friend requests. Right. So at least throw throw it back for the people who created it. Yeah. And, you know, the irony was while this thing was clicking over 25,000 views, I was still on the phone with unemployment. And, yeah. And it's not like I got rich off it. I didn't even get paid for it. I'm just using this as a way to... I always wanted to write essays. I always wanted to be a columnist. And I always figured this was a slice of the pie to my career. I'll always write books. I'll always do other shit. But I always wanted the platform to be that guy, like Hunter Thompson, fucking uh, all the different like old school newspaper men in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, Irv Cupsonant. Um, trying to think of all the different old school dudes that I read on. I'm drawing a blank. Right, Mike Royko and Studs Terkel and all those guys. Yeah. I grew up reading those, and I went to school for journalism. So that's an absolute backbone passion of growing up reading the newspaper because we're we're on that millennial edge yeah yeah <laughs> i think i'm a little bit closer inside the millennial than you are yeah and uh, i i remember i remember old school dudes i'd be riding the l train to work and i remember old guys would get that that paper and they'd get that fold in the crease yeah and it was perfect man i mean there wasn't an ugly crease to it and they just sit there and just read and I'd always be like, fuck, newspaper men are the baddest. You'd see them at the bar, and they'd be like, just fucking sharing stories and cutting up. And here I am, like, this kid in, like, just out of journalism school and thinking these dudes are, like, fucking writing cowboys and everything. Yeah. And so now that it's happening, it's cool. It's just the glory of it. I mean, that has gone so far beyond me that I can't do anything other than say that an article of mine went viral. Yeah. And please give me a shot to write for you. Yeah. Well, it's funny, too, because I feel like a lot of people will say, well, we'll use this line on you. Oh, you're just, you got your money making this article. You got your money making this article. Why are you complaining? You know? And it's like, nobody knows that there's really not a whole lot of money in any kind of writing. I, I hope that neither of my children want to become writers. <laughs> I really... Oh, dude, you're going to get you're gonna get a interpretive dancer, probably. It's fine. <laughs> less, I hope that there's pay. a better paycheck in it yeah. than writing. Um. Well, there, there was an interesting thing that was going on on the internet. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, I forgot what this guy's name was, but they are harassing him. The guy writes terrible poetry. Oh, yeah. oh, um, Jay Sizemore. No, well, yeah, him. <laughs> I mean, he is, I mean, like, he, he was just off the rails. Yeah, I fuck mean, that dude. That guy's a psychopath. And fuck I mean, him. it was like, okay, freedom of speech, whatever. But this was obviously targeted... And, you know, if, it's okay, you published it, he published it in a book, whatever. 
He was definitely sending it in the mail, basically, to the target of his hatred. It's just, that's so. I mean, it was it was creepy. It was it was weird. It's fucking I mean, weird. Like, dude. Okay, I look, bro. Roll right with your shit. Stay in your lane. If you want to be a poet, write fucking poetry. Live your life. Do good shit. Go like read to people and just make shit that means something to somebody. But when you target somebody for... This is the thing about fucking writers. A single person. This is the thing about writers I fucking hate. I fucking hate. I'm channeling that Gabino Iglesia. That new rage that dude's got and I love it. He just is like, fuck that shit. It's awesome. But I fucking hate about writers is like... People feel like that they can't support other people because they think that if the light comes off them for a second that their work is not as good. Because people get shots all the time. I know people that have fucking awesome deals and making moves, and those people I respect and I want them to do well. But other writers are like, fuck that fucking bitch. And you're like, (laughs) what the fuck are you fucking... Like, there is no reason to say that. You got like 50 million books you love. You got 50 million records you like. You got a million movies. Yeah, There's room for everybody at the table. When you single someone out and you dedicate your time and effort to writing something, to attack somebody because of the avenue, how they fucking, you know, somebody wants to wear a panda head and wear a bra when they read their shit, that's fine, because we all got a gimmick. I'm an outspoken fucking idiot asshole. That's my gimmick. My gimmick is being, something sucks, I'll say it in five minutes that someone sucks, and I just deal with the bullshit that rains upon me. That's just how I do the business. Somebody wants to do something else in fucking be themselves to just get people to pay attention to their art in a world where they get it 24 fucking 7 on their phone on the billboards in front of them let them have that so when you create something just to be a vindictive cunt Seth says something about how fucking scared and inactive and fucking absolutely fucking atrocious your work is because it does not have any fucking merit well it was sad and it was like frankly pathetic Look, the guy has a right to say whatever he wants to say. He wants to create this, let's just say this, absolutely awful, awful art. It's absolutely terrible, completely without merit. It's fine, whatever. It has merits in the fact that he made it, or I don't know, whatever you want to say. He self-published it, but the thing is, when you're watching this in real time, the way he's threatening a person... And writing these things, I mean, it was pretty despicable. It's fucking creepy. And, and then, then you go mail it to him? Uh, mail it to him. It's just, here's the thing. If he was writing those poems and then sending them directly to the object of, of, of his uh, harassment, that would be harassment. Like, yeah. 100%. Fuck yeah. And uh, the whole, like a Mark Wahlberg movie about this? <laughs> the, the whole joke, I mean, the whole joke about this whole thing is... He claims he invented reading poems or reading or performing with the fucking mask on. Now, when I heard that, I look back at all the shit that we've done, like the TLDR shit we did yeah. a year ago, and the shit I've done before that, there were masks involved. Shirts were off. I mean, one of my gimmicks is... Spam was eaten. <laughs> yeah, spam was eaten. Shirts were off. Masks were worn and taken off. And if Jay Sizemore wants to claim the mask thing, I mean, the guy's a fucking moron. Sorry, Jay. You suck. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> you suck. Um, My guy, you've been found out. <laughs> and uh, talking about shitty people, uh, shitty publishers have been in the news lately. And I feel like me and you take the cake on shitty publishers. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Double Life Press certainly had al- alternate meaning. I mean, its meaning was pretty metaphorical for an actual Double Life. Yeah, I mean, that one's fucked up, man. I mean, it's that's a weird fucking subject, and it's a sketchy subject at best. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the story here is uh, the publisher of Double Life Press started a new press, and, you know, uniformly everyone loved it. Everyone loved it. He was signing book deals left and right. Uh, me, Will Vaharo, Danny Gardner, Pablo Desser, and I think there was another person who actually had books published through Double Life Press. I started seeing cracks in the whole thing when I was when I wasn't getting paid. You know, mm-hmm. I, I checked the contract; it was supposed to get paid. Everything seemed fine up till then. Then I asked, like, "Hey, man, can I see the sales numbers?" And then things started going haywire. Like he put up a GoFundMe because uh, they're running out of town and all that kind of stuff. This struck me as odd, but not like criminal. You yeah. Know? And then I would also think it's not like, and then the degree of his criminality, I would have never ever guessed. Uh, he's currently in jail for being a pederast. Yeah, uh, and he's probably going to die there. And he's got twenty five or thirty five years, and uh, you know. Bobby and I, I mean, Bobby was signed for the Red 7 to Double Life Press. Yeah. But we're not the victims in the story. You no. Know? Uh, there are victims of that story. That's not us. I think that that's, it's a really sad story across the board when you think about it. Yeah. Like, that dude who was running Double Life Press is like a, here's the thing about that. Is that dude across indie literature had a lot of respect. People really, like, got behind that dude because they're like, here's this dude in a wheelchair that, like, has really good taste. He had really good fucking taste in books. Like, he could pick them out, man. I mean, every book he picked out, essentially, got picked up somewhere else. People reviewed it, or it got its attention. I mean, the book that he was supposed to put out ended up, you got on the cover of the Chronicle with that shit. Yeah. And, like, that's not to say that he didn't have taste, and he, which he did. He had taste. He had an eye for design. I mean, the, the layouts of the, the books he put out looked good. Yeah. So, there is merit to that. It's just that the dude was living a double life. And unfortunately yeah. for everyone, the press started falling apart. Like, things weren't getting done. Things weren't getting edited. No feedback. And so then all the contracts and everything else that people did, we started being like, what the fuck? Because the hype around it was real. And I think that a lot of the indie world, that could have been a player had he not fucked it up on his end. And then they, like, bailed and moved to New Orleans. And they moved somewhere, like, all these cho- like choices and things and stuff. Well, you know, thank God. You know, the other thing is, you know, in a lot of ways, thank God the press never took off. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Because it's not like his proclivities weren't there at the beginning. I mean, he's had this. this no, yeah. Is, I mean, this is a wrap on him. Yeah. So, I mean, thank God the press didn't, you know, get huge. We, you know, it's just, it's just a weird, it's still like, I still think about it every now and then. I'm not angry about it. You know, I'm not angry about my, what happened to me. I'm sure you're not angry about what happened to you. I'm angry at, at what happened, what he's what he's done. But at the same time, it's just like a real bizarre fucking whirlwind that I, you know. It was my first book that got published, and I was real proud of it. And now I don't even have, like, I can't even look at the cover anymore. And it's sad because it has, it's a great cover by Dyer Wilk, but uh, it actually has his name on it. Not, not Dyer's name, Craig's name on the book. So I can't even look at the fucking cover anymore, and I love it. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't go to that like length of it. I mean, I have a different level of tolerance. And I'm not saying tolerance of pederast by any means. I just, 
I just let things go in a different way. I process them different. Yeah. But I mean, you should be proud of that shit. No, I mean, I'm, I'm very proud of the book, and I'm very, I'm very proud of the uh, cover and all that. Just you know, the name next to my name, it just leaves bad taste, a real bad taste. Um, you know, the, I know the book sold well because I eventually did see the sales numbers from him, and it sold well. I didn't see any money out of it, which still it wouldn't have been a lot. But the copies I sold at Bookie Bowl on my own, like I bought my own stock and so yeah. Bookie Bowl. I mean, it was a pretty, that's a pretty sizable chunk of money that I got, you know, for me. Um, so I'm, I'm still happy with the book. I love, you know, I love that it got published and and, and now it's basically self-published through me and it still sells. So, uh, yeah, and then we had a dark fuse, you know, I guess he, he folded his, uh, his publishing company cause he wanted to play tennis more. I heard, like, I, I also heard that when he was going to, like, give it to somebody else to run. Yeah. So I heard that the dude who runs Dark Fuse was going to pony off and, like, let somebody else take the mantle and, like, reinvent the business. Yeah. But then 80% of his authors chose, he gave them the choice, you can either pull out and I'm out, but you can pull out and we'll just call it a wash, you walk and, or you can take your faith with the new guy and see where that takes you. And 80% of the people didn't want to go with the new guy, which... It's fucking crazy if you think about it. Well, there's more to that story. And that was his public story. I don't know if you heard the Brian Keene's This Is Horrible That's what podcast. I heard him talking about. Yeah, that. yeah. So, so, you know, the, the terms of the new contract under the new guy, if there ever was a new guy, were astoundingly bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the terms of the new contract were astoundingly bad, which is why 80% of the authors left. Oh, well. Um, and, you know, it, it was a dick move on the guy to fucking blame his authors in the first place you know um but yeah bad pu- publishers behaving badly right now yeah i mean um, let's say this tennis isn't a crime punishable by 25 to 35 years no <laughs> i mean I there's so many there's good publishers and there's bad publishers and everything i mean it's just like any other art form and yeah. i mean it sucks that after 20 years that dude had to go out like that. You'd think that like some people, after putting like that much skin in the game, could at least have like a respectful send off, not like a burnout and just fucking it's a wrap. Yeah, I mean that sucks. And well, it's hard. I mean, I the burnout is almost like hey, what else can happen? You know, yeah. it's either you you work forever, or you just totally burn out. But you know, we got we have great small presses, Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing, and Broken River Books, and King Shot, and Lazy Fascist. Like they're all doing great stuff. No, those, they're, I legitimately, I wish, I have this, like, fantasy that, like, if I ever got to the level of, like, had some real, like, success and really, like, real money, I would, like, try to, like, do what Stephen King does and, like, make sure that he puts stuff out, like he does with Cemetery Dance. He fucking bankrolled Cemetery Dance for the rest of their lives because he puts out shit specifically through them. And, like, I always have that fantasy of... Being the like, hey, let's do something together. Like, can I help you? Can I help you in any way possible? Because they do so much good work and so many cool things. I mean, the shit that King Shot does is just, like, fucking unreal. And then there's Lady Box and then the stuff yeah. that, like... Um, there's another, like, really female-centric... I'm excited to see Tiffany Scandals. Uh, she's editing an anthology. And yeah. I think that's cool. Because Tiffany's got really good taste. Yeah. And so it'll be, like, good... Like, I don't know. It'll just be good. And I, like, I, I'm i going to sound like an asshole when I say it. Like, that whole Wonderland book crowd thing, I'm not really in that. So I don't know that scene well. But I know all the players in the scene. 
but I like the fact that like she stepped out of that and like with the new collection that she's doing and she's soliciting work from outside the comfort zone and I think that's cool yeah I'm so outside any like I, I see drama boil up every now and then like I honestly don't know how I saw Jay Sizemore shit because I never see this shit every time every time someone's talking you know, there's like everyone's talking about the same thing I have to like scroll back and figure out what happened because I don't know anything that's going on but uh, I do like that you know Portland has a great scene you know and all that kind of shit I wish Austin had had a scene comparable. It just doesn't. I mean, there's a lot of riders here, uh, but in terms of small presses, I you know, I don't know what the fuck is going on. No, it's, it's not the same thing. No, I Austin does its own thing, man. I mean, I, it's kind of like Portland became a de facto like mini universe to publishing. I mean, yeah. it became the indie, indie publishing hub. Yeah. I mean, we just can't compare to that, and I I don't think Austin ever will. We have the whole music label thing down. We have the yeah, oh, music. And, and the beer drinking. Beer drinking and like... And the 100 degree having... Beer drinking, 100 degree having, music labeling, sons of bitches. Fucking cut off shorts, <laughs> cowboy boots, and bikini tops. That's right, man. Yeah, uh, it's... I don't think that... To be honest with you, I'm glad we don't have that. I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I wish we did. I, I, I have, like, but why do you wish you had it? I don't know. We, we, I think we do a lot in terms of performance and all that kind of stuff. But it would be nice to have, like, this gang to roll up with. You know I, what I mean? But, I mean, do, but I, do we perceive it that way, though? Or is that just the way it is? I, I mean, think... not like a gang. I'm not talking about, like, a gang. No, but, like... Go brass we... knuckles and shit. I would say, like, like, a crew, you know? We, they get together and have beers all the time, and they're different... They're different publishers. You yeah, know? I mean, I could, I could see it in a in a way, but I like on the fact that like, because we're outsiders, I think that the people that are here, we work really hard to make names for ourselves, and I think that there's something behind that. Like, there's lots of writers I don't know, but the writers I do know, fucking work really hard, yeah. and I think that because we don't have the luxury of a scene, is that we we have to make our own luck. I think that that says something about like our grit in the sense of. The successes that we've had. Like, you were on the fucking cover of the Chronicle. Gabino was in, like, he got a review in the LA Times. Yeah. Like, that wasn't by luck. That was by fucking nose to the grindstone, good books being, like, like, taken care of by the public. Yeah. And, like, Max's shit, Max runs Perpetual Motion, but that dude grinds and he hustles. And Nate Sutherland's up there writing cool books. Yeah. And, but we're all doing stuff that necessarily... We don't have the luxury of a scene. We have to do... Like, if we make a... If we were like, let's have a reading. There's no noir in the bar here. We would have to literally go... We should do a noir in the bar. I have to correct you there. We do have a noir at the bar here. Oh, see? Uh, Scott Montgomery, uh, who's like the... He is the oracle of noir and small press crime. Wait, didn't you read with him? What? Well, he runs noir at the bar. Yeah, but didn't you do it? Uh, I did it a couple times. Yeah, that's yeah. Good. yeah, you invited and, me. And I actually worked with him... Because he, he runs mystery people at Book People. Yeah. And the best part of Book People. Like the, oh, yeah. I know yeah, Scott. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay. The best part of Book People, the the most well-curated part of Book People is mystery people. Dude, I can make it on the mystery people blog. I yeah. felt like... Yeah, I, dude. I, mean, I legitimately felt like I was like... That was that was a moment for me. Yeah. That guy's got great taste. He's got great taste. Uh, he was interviewed... I mean, well, interview would be a big word for, for what he did... But they're talking about uh, in the New York Times. They're talking about crime fiction, right? Mm-hmm. 
They called his ass up. Dude. Good. A bookseller in Austin. That guy is... That guy has the best taste. He reads more than anybody I know. Yeah. Um, and he's always hustling small press writers. I mean, he brings in small press books. And, and uh, you know, there's not a bookseller... Uh, I, I, I take it back. I don't know who's working that bookie pool right now. But that guy curates that, that section better than any other section at Bookie Pool. No, I, I, I will attest to that now that I put the name to the face and everything. Yeah, he was really nice when I met yeah. him. And he was gregarious in the fact that, like, um, I went to a reading and it was, like, Rob Hart, uh, Bill from New Orleans, and um, Jordan Harper. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I missed they, that. I was at um, work. It was cool. Yeah. We all went out. We went to... Um, chili parlor afterwards yeah. and he was like his questions like that dude you could tell like knew every book every character nuance he, he, he knows everything yeah it was is it was impressive because yeah. his questions were like really thought out and personal like yeah. that he's was a, he's also a great writer oh that's like, awesome really great writer that's fucking cool because yeah. yeah like that one i just didn't know there was an or at the bar like that's news to me yeah and i think it's run differently here than it is other places oh. it's connected to the bookstore Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's not like uh, nor at the bar everywhere else where someone runs it uh, and everyone brings their own books. Book people runs it. Book people sells the books. Oh, you get your paycheck later, bitch. Oh okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I like I said. I just never know. I wish. Yeah, it's a great. I mean, it's a great scene. I think they do it at uh, Thread Girls. Not relevant to anyone who's not in Austin listening to this, but I think they do it at Thread Girls now. They used to do it at Opal Divines, Penfield. This is all South maybe, shit, man. Yeah, I think maybe I did go to one then. Because I feel like if uh, Joe Lansdale might have done one. Joe Lansdale has definitely done multiple. Yeah. Then I did go to one. I went to one a while back. And now that like the, you said it, I did go to Elbow to Divines. And I got a couple. I bought a couple of books off Lansdale. Yeah. Well, Lansdale, let's just say this now. We're both transplants to Texas here. But the one thing that makes me proud to be a Texan and I feel like culturally connected to Texas is Joe R. fucking Lansdale. Lansdale's the man. Yeah. He's, he's a like, nice guy too. Yeah, he's a great guy. He does like judo or something. He has yeah. a judo dojo or whatever you call it. Yeah, that's fucking And cool. he's Texas. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Joe Lansdale's good stuff. He's great yeah. books. Happen Leonard is one of my favorite TV shows and books. Yeah. And uh, you know who's another great writer? This was one of the one perks. So like the whole... To circle it back to the viral thing. Yeah. So, um, Stories from Texas. You ever heard of Stories from Texas? No. If you listen to the Texas Standard, and I'm sorry for anybody that is listening that's like, shut the fuck up about Texas. Yeah. Um, Stories from Texas is this thing this guy W.F. Strong does. Uh And he does these like five minute, or maybe three minute vignettes where he tells like a story and it's like a really like ridiculous tall tale, but they're... But they're true, yeah. And it's it's really great writing, like a really small vignette about like a big personality, like doing something cool against adversity, like not lame, like a guy climbed a mountain with one arm and he drank a beer or something really like ridiculous and cool. And W. F. Strong does them, and they're really well written. And uh, he uh, he was they shared my story, and I corrected on the thing, and he was like, "Oh man, I would never do that." And I'm glad that you gave me the for the citation and everything yeah. else the statesman and I got to talk to him and it was like holy shit like WF Strong is a great great writer that's and awesome I like even though I had a Facebook conversation with him it was just it was I geeked out because when you yeah. talk to people you really respect yeah you're like fuck this is so cool yeah I can't even I can't even thinking about talking to somebody I really respect I can't even imagine I can't even imagine how it goes you know every time I met Joe Lansdale and I talked to him but it's just like 
I was like, I was going to piss my pants. <laughs> you know, like, that, that's the feeling I had. I gave him a copy of the Red 7. I was like, hey, man, I got compared to you. And he was like, that's cool. <laughs> it's yeah. in the pile of yeah. other shit. Yeah. That's cool, dude. Where's the trash can? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's like sitting in the fucking floor of his car. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, man, uh, let's let's see. You got Red 7 for sale right now, right? Yeah, it's, it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. You can go check it out, and I will link it down here wherever you're listening somewhere. I'm also in, um, if you're from Chicago, if you're interested in Chicago stories, the last thing I was just in is Belt Press, or Belt Magazine just released an anthology that's actually tearing up in chicago it's doing extraordinarily Sweet. well it's when like people are paying a lot of attention to it from my hometown which is gratifying you know yeah, totally and uh yeah i wrote a story about growing up on the south side and it's cool if you're from chicago or curious about chicago stories chicago non-fiction fiction it's a really good crosswork of personalities there's 51 stories in it yeah and uh it's it, it's a really well curated martha bain put it out um through um Belt Magazine, so it's it's cool if you're into like that city. I'll put a link down there too to to check it out. Um, one final question: This is a question personally tailored towards you. Uh, who's your favorite band of all time, and why is it Sublime? <laughs> oh God, I fucking hate Sublime. <laughs> this is like his ongoing joke on Facebook or all social media, or sometimes <laughs> just a random text. <laughs> um, I hate Sublime, and I hate the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I just don't get it, and I don't like them. So, okay, yeah. well, shit, it's weird. It's your favorite band. But yeah, I know. I just well, can't. it's one of those things. Are you like a Chicago hot dog because you're from Chicago, and I like Sublime because I'm from Long Beach, California. I, 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 I think the reason why I don't like Sublime is what Sublime has grown to represent. Like that psychological. Like I get it with dudes who are like fucking Slayer's Red, but I hate Slayer people. I, I like Pantera, and Pantera people annoy the shit out of me. Yeah. Same difference. I just can't deal with, like, that, like, shitty dude with dreadlocks and, like, that, the rug fucking hoodie and puka shells and, like, just, I can't deal with that whole thing. And, like, it's that, like, it just reminds me of being 21 and dudes smelling, like, vodka and yeah. vomit and... I get it. I get it. And the funny thing is, I, I really loved Sublime growing up. It was so everywhere. But uh, when I was when I turned it on Spotify as you entered my <laughs> house just now, uh, you know, there's something about you know it's a time and place kind of kind of music for me. It's like back then it was good. Now the lyrics don't make any fucking sense. Uh, it's almost aggressively stupid in a lot of ways. Um, but the one band I hate as much as you hate Sublime, it's probably Incubus. For the exact opposite reason. Because I think Sublime was aggressively stupid and proud of it. Like, it was, like, totally fine. You know? But Which Incubus is, thinks they're smart as but fuck. But Incubus thinks they're smart as fuck. It's like, I dig my toes into the sand, and a million universes blow up in the world, and we're all connected. You know, that kind of shit. Oh, God, I hate that shit. Those... Same crowd, though. Puka shells, dreadlocks, oh, yeah. hemp no. sandals. Same crowd. No, I mean... Uh, Dude, honestly, Incubus is Incubus thinks they're fucking Radiohead. They're not. Yeah, you know, like they. I, one thing, one good thing about Incubus, though, I will say about Incubus. I will not hear it, sir. No, they know where they stand in the annals of time. Yeah. I was reading this interview because they just did this tour, like a co-headliner with them in Deftones. Yeah. And uh, Brandon Boyd was like, "Where do we even fit in in today's landscape?" He's like, "Kids, new new kids don't give a shit about us, and all of our old fans grow up and got families. Yeah. So we don't. We're completely irrelevant." We were, like, popular for a couple of years there, and now we're lucky if people show up to see us. Granted, they were filling fucking arenas with the Deftones, take as what you may, 
But, I mean, at least they're aware. Yeah. You know? At least they're aware of, like... It's kind of like a Conor McGregor, Mayweather fight. Everyone knows the fight's going to suck, but they want to watch it anyway. That fight was great, man. <laughs> I liked that fight. I was impressed. I'm my boy Conor. And look, and when somebody's like, fucking, you, you just said my boy Conor. Look, I'm 100% fucking Irish. I got to go with, like, that whole thing. Sorry I buy into that cult of being Irish. But, I mean, for the, fake, the, the sake of people thought that dude was going to get the shit kicked out of him. He put up a fight against the greatest boxer of a generation. Fought, lasted 10 rounds, landed 111 punches. You gotta give him credit for crossing over because Mayweather could have never came into his world. I think that that deems respect to the fact that he made it that far. And he he could legitimately book himself now as either an MMA fighter or a boxer because if you put him anybody lower than Mayweather... Once he builds that stamina up, he's going to probably fucking win. Let's see a Pacquiao, uh, Pacquiao, uh, McGregor fight. Yeah, but Pacquiao needs to just fucking pack it up, man. Like, I was, <laughs> I was with Pacquiao in his prime, but right now. Yeah. That dude, it's just, it's gotten too far. He's just, he's, now he's swinging at gas. Yeah. Well, hey, man. Guy's got to make money. Well, the last thing I'm going to say about Mayweather is Mayweather's probably the smartest boxer ever because he has a style that doesn't require him getting punched in the head, so he still has his faculties about him enough to swindle everyone every time he has to fight. You know, the guy makes so much fucking money. He made 300 fucking million dollars. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. So he's like, he's the greatest boxer of his generation, but also probably the smartest because he doesn't get, he doesn't, he doesn't get punched in the head at all, ever, basically. So, all right, Robert Dean, everybody. Look him up on Facebook, uh, Twitter, um, I think if you type in Robert Dean, it'll come up. But what's your Twitter handle? Robert under, uh, Robert underscore Dean. Yeah. So that's him. If you look on Facebook, it's a black and white picture of me looking all sour. He's got a fedora on. Yeah, I got a neck beard. <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, tipping my hat, and yeah. there will be lots of mansplaining. Yeah, and saying m'lady quite Whoa. a bit. Um, on Amazon, Robert Dean, you'll find his books. I'll make a link to it. Dude, thank you so much for coming here. We live in basically different cities, you being North Austin, me being South Austin. It's always a place. You guys have no idea how much when we were like text each other, it's like, hey, can you hang out today? Oh, man. And it's like, a th- it took me 30 minutes to get here, even though we live in the same city. Yeah, it's it's rough. But I always like hanging out with him. This time we had a microphone between us, but uh, love this guy. I think you should love him too. Check him out. Thanks for coming here. Thank you.